This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is Hemant Mehta for the Friendly Atheist Podcast. I recently had a chance to interview Andrew Pledger, a former student at Bob Jones University, which, as I'm sure many of you know, is a fundamentalist Christian school with a long and not-so-great history. Andrew is also the host of a new podcast called Surviving Bob Jones University, A Christian Cult. I spoke with him about the school's interracial dating ban, the way they surveil students, the double standards and sexism, and so much more. I hope you enjoy it, and you can support this show by going to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing so, so great. I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have, and I'm so grateful for you giving me a platform to bring awareness to this school and what it has done to me and other survivors. Well, I appreciate you doing it. I had a chance to listen to the podcast uh, last week, and some of those interviews you have are, they made me sad while I was driving, but also there's a reason for that. And it's a reason I want to talk about all this with you. So before we get into the specifics of the school, can you give us your background and how you ended up there just so everyone can get familiar with you? Yes. For those who do not know me, my name is Andrew Pledger, and I was born into a family who were involved in a Christian cult in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. And for people who are not familiar with this, this movement started as a reaction to modernism in the 1920s. So there were these different people in Baptist churches that did not like liberal theology or any secularization. So they decided that we're going to separate from all of this and we're going to create our own churches. And the reason they're called independent is because there's no higher organization holding them accountable. They can all operate individually um, however they want to. And that's, I think, one of the scary things about this movement is that they are undetected. A lot of these churches, they're hidden in plain sight, and there are a lot of extreme things that are going on behind these closed doors. But um, this movement is known for, again, its separation from the outside world, even separation from people who do not, even Christians who do not agree with them. They are mainly known for their stance on the King James Version only of the Bible. All other versions are false. So the King James Version is the absolute truth, and all their versions are influenced by Satan. Um, They really encourage a very strict lifestyle with rules like around like TV, 
clothing, gender roles, just any information in general. So you're not supposed to be exposed to any information or books that are different from what the IFB tells you. That's Satan. And if you're going to get an education, it has to be in, in an IFB college or a fundamentalist school. You can't go um, to a, um, a secular college because, you know, Satan is there with all these different ideas and he'll lead you away from God. So there's very much fear around anything um, that is different from what they say. They teach that God created the world in um, seven days. They teach that the world is, is between six to 10,000 years old. And I was recently talking with a friend today and about the IFB, and he said this movement is really all about preservation, preservation of what they, and similar to the Trump's MAGA, Make America Great Again, this idea of preserving the past. And it's like, okay, well, what do you actually want to preserve in the past? And it turns out it's just these patriarchal, homophobic, racist structures that they want to keep in society. They wouldn't say that openly but really from the environment that's really what it is so it was very isolating in this environment had an extreme us versus them mindset and leaving this belief system meant punishment from god and you were hopeless without it and because of the separation you're so dependent so we see these things a lot in cults. So that's why I call the church that I grew up in a cult because it had all these tendencies and we had a leader that people had unquestioning devotion to um, looking back on my childhood. Um, and there was just so much fear around the outside world and we were discouraged from partaking in any of it. And I was homeschooled my entire life, K through 12. My parents did that. So they were raised in the IFB. My dad was an IFB pastor and my mom was a Christian school teacher. And they decided to homeschool me and my two brothers to indoctrinate us into the IFB. So I, my parents used a homeschool curriculum that was made in an IFB college called Pensacola Christian College. It was, uh, the curriculum was called a Becca. And yeah, my entire childhood this was my entire world. It's all I knew. I thought it was so normal. And I ended up at Bob Jones University because when I graduated from homeschooling, my parents would not stop the control from there on. That's when it would continue through them using their finances to say, we will not let you go to any other college besides a fundamentalist one. And the one I ended up going to was Bob Jones University. So I want to cut into that really quick. First of all, with the uh, King James version of the Bible, I was doing a Bible series on this YouTube channel for a while, but I use the NIV version because it's just easier to understand and it it's closer resembling uh, modern English than KJV would be. And it was funny to me that that was the thing that some of those uh, IFB pastors, new IFB pastors in that cult, uh, that's what some of them were mad about. Like, I no one should take the series seriously because he's using the NIV Bible and not uh, KJV, which I found like kind of missing the point. But okay, um, did you? Uh, I want to hear a little bit more about the Abeka curriculum that you took because that I don't think that's as widely understood as people uh, should understand it. But I'm also curious: were there any other colleges that were under consideration because Bob Jones University isn't the only Christian, you know, mm -hmm. fundamentalist Christian school uh, on the menu. 
No. Yeah. So my other option was Pensacola Christian College, which produced the curriculum I was raised in. The other option was Hiles Anderson, which this is the college my parents graduated from. And Hiles Anderson is attached to the largest IFB church in America called First um, Baptist of Hammond. And it was started by the leader, Jack Hiles. And at one point, this church had a membership of over 100,000 people. So he knew how to get large numbers of people in. And, you know, in, I think it was in the 70s, that's when he started Hiles Anderson and attached this college to this massive church. So to really produce all these different um, preachers, missionaries to spread their message across the world because they saw it as truth. So they were very big on numbers. So yeah, so Hiles Anderson, Pensacola Christian College, there's Crown College, there was uh, West Coast College. Uh, those are kind of the main ones. And I I didn't hear about Bob Jones University until I started researching. And so for me, at 17 years old, I knew I really wanted to get out of fundamentalism. Now, at that point, I had still at that time considered myself a Christian. Um, but I was like, oh, I just need to leave this background. This is harmful. I can go find a truth somewhere else or something oh, like that with spring finally in view you might be thinking about inviting over some friends for an outdoor meal i know i'm looking forward to that and that means you should be thinking about butcher box you can skip the grocery store knowing you have the food you trust in your freezer I know that might sound strange coming from me since I'm vegetarian, but they have a high-quality veggie burger that I absolutely love. They have options for pescatarians, too. The food is high-quality, grass-fed, and free-range. More than anything, it'll give you peace of mind knowing everyone who eats it will enjoy it. You get free shipping, too. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a whole year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com friendly and use code friendly to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Explain that for a second. I am yeah. dying to know how someone raised in this homeschooling, very fundamentalist environment figures out that there is a world out there mm. that... Uh, that's more expansive but like yeah how do you pierce that bubble in any way mm. to the point where you know okay i don't know if yeah. this is for me but also i'm not ready to leave because i'm not Ooh. about to make a break for it i'm still gonna go to one of these colleges mm -hmm. yeah so that is something that people ask a lot and it is incredible looking back how quickly i was able to get out of that but i think what happened was I did not fit into their binary system. So one of the things that really woke me up was my sexuality. I My sexuality didn't match what they taught. You know, I didn't, it took me a, a long time to realize that I was gay, but like I didn't have the language for that. But all I knew was I don't fit into the sexuality that they're talking about. I just didn't fit. And another thing was my struggle with mental health. I struggled a lot with depression and anxiety throughout all of my childhood and really especially teen years and they were supposed to have the answer they had the answer for everything and the thing is when their formula doesn't work for you you are blamed and you're ashamed you are spiritually inferior you're not trusting enough you're not believing enough you're not confessing a sin you're not close enough to jesus it's never the system it's never the teachings it's never the leaders it's always on you so it's very very narcissistic 
And, you know, when I'm following this formula, doing it over and over again, and nothing is happening, God isn't answering my prayers, or there's, you know, it's, it's really looking back, it's just like this kind of prosperity gospel, kind of, you know, not with the money, but like with, oh, just read this Bible verse, just do this, and this magical thing will happen. Like, we have the answer, just do this. But looking back, it's just very magical type thinking and really ignores the gray and complexities of life. So I was doing all the things and I felt so much shame about it. I was like, what's wrong with me? You know, it, it at least outwardly, I thought, oh, well, this seems to be working for everyone else. You know, I couldn't see their thoughts, but like, that's what I was thinking at that time. So it's like, I'm the problem. Something's wrong with me. I have to fix this. But as I continue getting, getting older, you know, you do the same thing over and over again, and it's not working, you have to do something different. And I was not allowed to have access to any books or information outside that system. I didn't have access to an internet browser to search the internet until 17 years old. So I ex- know what your internet searches were like at that point. <laughs> but also, like, if you're questioning your sexuality, or you're going yeah. through the mental health issues, I have to think like, well, did you have anyone to talk to if you couldn't figure it out on your own and you couldn't search for it? I I had talked to my parents about it and they were not helpful at all. They would just say the same things that they were told growing up, just read your Bible and pray. Um, you know, I had tried to get on medication at 16, but my parents would not let me. They were they would not let me go on medication. And I told them I was very depressed. And they wouldn't do anything about it. They didn't even take me to a therapist. That's very looked down upon in that environment. And so, yeah, they just brushed it over and pretend everything was fine. And I ended up falling into a major depressive episode at at 16 years old. And they're seeing the consequences of this with me um, just being in bed, not eating, not doing anything, just just there like a potato on a bed and just they didn't know what to do about it and my dad handled it really just really terribly um i remember him yelling at me at the dinner table to just get over it just eat so they just don't know how to deal with mental health in these environments and so um I had to repress it. I just had to put on a shiny happy face and pretend that everything was all right and you know we would go to this um, church cults and everyone thought we were the perfect family but in reality we were not at all in this household you know my family it operated like a cult uh, my dad was the leader we weren't allowed to question him he had the truth his interpretation of the bible was a hundred percent correct and he could be really cruel with his power at times and me and my brothers you know they used corporal punishment on us a lot growing up and we were made into these perfect soldiers for Christ that rarely ever like disobeyed or went against what they wanted. Um, So if in that environment, your needs are not considered at all, you know, especially for children. So you just learn to repress things and hide it. Um, And so I think for me, my mind adapted with that trauma in different ways, Um, but, and it would come back up a lot. And especially at Bob Jones, you know, I've already experienced four, depressive episodes throughout my life at 23 you know know, from the ages of 16 to now dealing with that trauma and my past but yeah you just you read the bible and pray so there's no solution for it and 
it was at 17 when I started getting that access, I just started asking questions about fundamentalism. Like, is the Bible actually perfect? Because that's a, that's a core thing in the IFB is that there's no mistakes in the Bible. And then also researching about sexuality. Like, you know, I don't fit this. And so I remember reading, I think it was actually watching a video about um, being gay. And it just, it just hit me so hard. And, you know, it was so hard to grapple with because I was always taught that gay people were an abomination. I heard countless hateful sermons about queer people and how they deserve to die of AIDS. So there was a lot of violent and hateful rhetoric that I was subjected to. And I took on those teachings and I believed those things as a child. And, you know, when all the adults who are supposed to be doing the right thing are taking that on too. And that homophobia then turned into internalized homophobia. So I, I dealt with that struggle of hiding it in an environment where if I was found out, like I was, I was afraid for my safety and that environment. I was a, a unsafe in my own family. I was so worried about my own father finding out. And I think deep down he kind of knew. And I think that's why he was really, really harsh and horrible to me at times growing up because he saw this in me, the signs of this, I don't think he wanted to admit it. And I think he dealt with his own struggles in some areas. And he uh, projected that onto me and he tried to bully it out of me growing up. So you're in this environment where you are just broken down if you are not made into their image. And you really just suffer in silence. So I, I suffered in silence most of my childhood. And you know, it wasn't until 17 that I began researching these things and finding contradictory information to what I was taught. And it's, and one of the things was I remember I ordered a book on fundamentalism, and this I was yeah this was 17. I had downloaded my Amazon app finally, and I ordered a book. And you know, my dad would always ask what packages we would get, and so I was very secretive that I ordered this, and I was hoping to run outside and get it before he saw it. But he, he saw me get this package, and he stopped me. And he asked me, what what was it? And I said, it was a book. And then, of course, he asked what book. And this book, I can't remember the name. I've tried to find it. I haven't found it yet. But it's, it was just about fundamentalism and just the mindset of it, the harmfulness of it to society and to people. And when he saw this, he was just really upset. And he took the book away from me and said I couldn't read it. He said, he said to me, he's like, oh, I'm so worried about your faith. And so he took it away. And when he was at work and when my mom wasn't around, I searched for it and I found it. And it was funny when I, I told this story to a friend, he's like, yeah, he's like most teenagers, they'll keep porn under their beds. But I kept this book on fundamentalism under my bed and I, I didn't touch it for like probably a month because I was so scared of it. Because if I questioned this, I would lose everything. Like I was so dependent. This is all I knew. So if I questioned that, I would lose so much. So I kept this book under my bed um, and I didn't touch it for a long time. But for me, like I was suffering so much. I was like, I have to find another way. So to read the things that stood out to me in this book was that, you know, fundamentalism clings so much to certainty and it has this extreme black and white mindset and this us versus them that demonizes anyone who believes differently and can turn very violent. And, and it starts with something very early too. It could be something mm -hmm. small, but if you start yeah. having doubts about something small mm -hmm. then the dominoes start falling really quickly, it does. It yeah. sounds like then trying to send you, I mean, 
getting you to Bob Jones University is a way to make sure you stay on the right path. Yes. Because at 17, you're clearly showing signs of weakness in some way. Yes. Um, that actually raises a question that uh, I know you get asked all the time, which is why do people with doubts uh, go to BJU? Why do people who might question their faith, yeah. why are, and especially why do people who have an inkling they might be lgbtq why on earth would they go to any of these uh i mean christian colleges but certainly fundamentalist christian colleges yeah yeah that that is a good question and it's something that comes up a lot and i'm hoping through my interviews and the podcast that people can have compassion and understand but yeah so when you're born into these fundamentalist families it is really it's it functions like an authoritarian cult in a way. So you cannot question authority. So in fundamentalism, if you question authority, you're questioning God. And so you do what your parents tell you to do. And if you go against that, God's going to punish you or, you know, Satan's going to attack you in some way. Because these authority figures that are put into your life, you're taught that, oh, they're putting to this place by God. They're representatives of God. So I was so scared to go against what my parents wanted. And there was so much pressure to go to a Christian college. And also they would not financially support me if I did not go to a fundamentalist Christian college. So I was really put into a double bind in my situation. So it was either I stay at home in the independent fundamental Baptist cults or I go to a fundamentalist Christian college. There was no way out. So it was like, for me, fundamentalism or fundamentalism, those are both terrible, not really much of a choice there. And for me, I was like, I knew I did not want to go to a fundamentalist college, but I knew I needed to get from under the control of my parents. And, you know, and it's funny because, you know, Bob Jones and these other colleges, they're still so controlling, so much control, but I wouldn't, you know, they're not my, Bob Jones, they're not my parents. So to me, it was going to be different. And I needed that try to have some independence, even though that environment would try to not give you that opportunity. But, you know, I was just, I was so codependent I mean, my family was very codependent. You know, we didn't have needs. We didn't know how to like speak up for ourselves Just do what you're told. And so, yeah, so there's no options. There's a lot of pressure um, from your parents. So, you, you know, you don't want to disappoint your parents. You're scared of going against what your parents want because of the whole authority thing. So a lot of control and coercion that is involved in for people who end up at these colleges. And I just want to say, you know, not everyone who attends these colleges has this, but from what I've seen, I don't think, I don't think these schools would exist without parents forcing their children to go to these places. I don't think Bob Jones would exist if there weren't parents who forced their children into the fundamentalist Christian college world. It is wild to me that you thought Bob Jones university or college in general would be uh, less restrictive yes. than home because it was college. What what did you know about Bob Jones University before you went there? Mm, yes. So I definitely did some research. And the first thing I did was read their um, handbook and or really their rule book. And so I, I was aware of all the different rules that they had. And I was I was absolutely dreading it. All the control around the movies, the TV, the music, um, relationships, uh, what church you could go to, just your behavior and the information you could go to. Like, 
this hey, handbook. Please explain some of the things in that handbook, because I know you go into yeah. depth about this in the mm -hmm. podcast, but some of those rules, I think even if I tried to make up what a fundamentalist Christian school would want students to do, some of these things about movies and things like that, uh, mm -hmm. I would not have been able to predict in advance. Yeah. So for video games, you couldn't play a game, I think above a T rating, you couldn't watch any movies above a PG rating. They might have changed it to PG-13, I'm not sure, but I want to say PG. You couldn't watch it above that. When I started going to school there, all the streaming services were blocked, so you couldn't download these apps. Um, they did change that when I was there. They finally unblocked that, um, but I'm not sure why. That Yeah, they unblocked that later on. Um, let's see here. For music, you could not listen to any kind of secular music at all. You could not listen to even Christian contemporary music because of the beats that they would have, they could be kind of too peppy or, or pop-like for them. So the music that you were allowed to listen to is basically classical music. And then they added in another genre that, that you're allowed to, which they banned for a while, which is bluegrass. And they changed that for the president, the past president, Steve Pettit, because he loved bluegrass mu music. So they changed it just for him. Um, so wonderful. And uh, let's see, other rules, they really demonize human touch. You know, you, okay, of course, same-sex relationships were not allowed at all. You were not, you were not allowed to be there as an openly queer person at all. So that's one thing I want to emphasize. And for you know heterosexual relationships, guys and girls they couldn't touch each other. Like they couldn't handhold. They could not hug each other. The only kind of interaction they could have is you know you can talk in a public space, but that's it. <clears throat> and if it's at night, you have. You told the story in the podcast about a girl, uh, a woman, sorry, who, uh, tr what was her, the issue with her and her boyfriend in public space? Because that, yes. to me, that's so, right about this. And it was, I, th I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So there's a story on the podcast where she was having a bad day and she's standing outside of her dorm in the daylight and her boyfriend gives her a side hug. And when her boyfriend gives her a side hug, she realizes that the dean of women is sitting in her car watching them. And she freaks out because the dean of women, she is, um, how do I say this? She is very notorious for being really awful to students, specifically women at Bob Jones University. She abuses her power and she loves it. She loves it so much. And she, there are times where she will just like a hawk watch for people to get into trouble. And so she follows this girl into her dorm and, you know, she asks her how's her day going. But what this girl didn't know was this lady had already talked to her boyfriend, asking what was going on and blah, blah, blah. But this girl didn't know this. And so once this woman asks, how's your day? This girl's like, Oh, it's been good. And then the woman just like, did you have sex with your boyfriend? And, you know, this girl was just like, whoa, like that was just a quick switch of conversation. Like, why would, you know, what, number one, like it's none of her business anyways, but like, this is crazy. You just see someone hug and you're, you assume that they're having sex. And what happened was, you know, then the lady was like, this boy, your boyfriend told me that you're actually having a really bad day. So she tripped her up in a lie. And the reason, the reason she lied is because in, at Bob Jones University, you're not allowed to experience things like anxiety or depression or sadness. And this is something that cults do, the emotional control. I mean, I have 
clips on the podcast where there are people at Bob Jones who say you are not allowed to have anxiety. That's disobeying God. So difficult human emotions are not allowed to experience that because that's seen as sin. You're not having the joy of the Lord. You know, you are saved. You're going to heaven. You have no reason to be unhappy or experience these hard emotions. So you need to believe and trust more. So you put on this mask of always being happy all the time. And so that's why she lied. She lied about how she was feeling because she was afraid of what would happen if she was honest about experiencing mental health issues at this school. And it ended up being like, I think like a week long interrogation over this side hug from her boyfriend. And they ended up getting demerits for it. That she got punished for a side hug with her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. That's what type of school we're talking about. This is a question from a commenter. Could men and women shake hands like in greeting? Um, you know, maybe they could. It's such a a strange thing. Maybe, um, maybe they could. I don't know if Bob Jones have an issue with that. And one thing I want to note is Bob Jones made one exception for a side hug. The one exception they would make for a side hug is if there were these fine art events they would have once a month at Bob Jones that all the students were required to go to. They were like usually like classical kind of concerts or some kind of play they would put on, but they were called artist series. And most people would bring kind of a date to it. You just sit there, watch this and then leave. But you were allowed to have a side hug only for a group photo. And then that's it. That was the only exception they would make for that. That's called a fundamentalist Christian party school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The reason I first heard of Bob Jones University, and I think it's the association most people outside the circles you grew up in might have, is that this is a school that clung to an interracial dating ban longer than pretty much anyone would have thought possible. Can you tell us about the ban and why it finally ended? Yeah, so Bob Jones University banned interracial dating and marriage for their staff and students and faculty until 2000. And yeah, so this was lifted in 2000. And the only reason it was lifted was because of George W. Bush. He was campaigning and Bob Jones was one of his stops. And this put a national spotlight on the school. And once people realized that, oh my gosh, this school is banning interracial dating and marriage in 2000. Of course, this made Bob Jones University look really bad. So it got a lot of national media attention. And then Bob Jones III, who is notorious for his racism in the past and also homophobia, um, he went on Larry King Live to talk about it. And it is just, I recommend anyone to watch the end. Just look up Larry King Live, Bob Jones III. And Ooh, it is a mess. It is a mess of an interview. And he made the school, I think, look so much worse. Was he trying to defend the ban and try to explain in a Christian way why we are trying to do this? Yeah, I mean, he really did. And it's funny because he announces that he's lifting the ban. And he's like, listen, he's like, this this ban doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter at all. It's just, you know, people made a fuss about it. You know, it's not a big deal on campus. We don't have issues with this. So we lifted it. And it's funny when he said that. And I'm like, yeah, because the majority of white people go to your school. Like that's, you know, of course you don't have issues with interracial dating from your perspective. So it was just so ridiculous for me to hear that. And he, what I heard him say, and um, I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but in that world, 
they are still afraid of the end times and the one world order. And the one world order is when all these different institutions become one. And, you know, there's one religion, there's one government. And interracial marriage and dating was something that they were so afraid. They saw that as being anti-Christ, a part of the anti-Christ agenda. And that's what he was talking about. Like, I, I had honestly forgotten about that part of fundamentalism until I saw that again. And my eyes were just like, I was like, oh my God, He's I forgot about this. trying to explain end times theology to a secular audience. And in his world, he thinks that makes total sense. Yes, and of like, course, I was outside just, that bubble, it's like, oh my God. It was, I was horrified. And I was like, I forgot because I was taught growing up by my parents that interracial dating and marriage was a sin. I was taught you weren't supposed to mix the races. That was not what God intended. And that's what they taught. And I've noticed a lot of these racist things and fundamentalism is based on this concept. It's called divine design. And they use this to be transphobic, homophobic, racist, um, you know, um, sexist, all these different things to enable the patriarchy and all these different systems. It's, it's a lot of it is rooted um, in really this idea of like supremacy, but also and they use it through divine design. It's like, oh, God didn't intend it this way. This is it against God. And they've used this over and over again. And it just hasn't, it hasn't worked out well for them as people continue to call them out for their bigotry, for using the same argument. And, you know, and the thing with like um, LGBTQ plus families of, oh, this is not how God wanted the family, the institution of the family. We cannot let this happen. Oh, we can't let gay people get married. That's not divine design. That's not what God wanted. So this environment really, it prioritizes really straight white cis men empowered this is what these systems uphold and it's rooted in supremacy i know you said uh i mean the vast majority of the school we are talking about cis straight white people um i am wondering since the interracial ban was struck down by the school mm -hmm. what 20 some years ago now yeah i mean can i i know you are uh a white guy so i don't know if it's fair to ask you this has the racism problem gotten <laughs> Uh, less has, has it become less of a problem at the school? Do you know what people of color at the school say about it? Mm, yes, and like this is the thing that was really interesting to me about making the Surviving BJU podcast is I wanted to try to get as many people with diverse social identities as possible. So I do have an episode dedicated to people of color. And it was really hard to find people of color survivors who would come forward. I only could find two that were willing to talk about their experiences. Um, but from my conversations with those people, okay, so the one girl in the podcast from India, um, she wore, I think it's called a korta, this special kind of Indian dress. And it wasn't up to Bob Jones dress code. It showed a bit, I think, of her belly or her side, the, her skin of that. And she was pulled aside for wearing this Indian traditional dress. And, you know, she almost got demerits for it, but she said, no, like y'all are being racist. Like, this is my culture. You can't tell me my culture's like dress is immoral or wrong based on, you know, your standards in your country. And, you know, when she said that, they backed off. They weren't going to mess with that. And this student from India, she said, compared to the other white girl students that she felt 
called out a lot more for her dress code than other girls. She said she would walk by and see other people breaking the dress code, but you know, she would get in trouble for, you know, whatever reason. She just felt so out of place and just singled out um in that environment. And it was hard for her to see special treatment, especially towards white women around their dress code. And another person I had on the podcast, they talked about their experience in the nursing department and how they were treated by different teachers and faculty of how like they were um, suspected a lot of cheating, which they didn't do. There was no proof of. So they were like watched by a certain person during test singled out like that in a classroom. And this, you know, this, this story I'm talking about, this happened in the, you know, I think oof, late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, so yeah, still fairly recent. So this person just, and, and, you know, they were, targeted by a couple of faculty in the nursing department, just trying to get him out of this program to leave the school. And, you know, thankfully the people who did those awful things, they, you know, they're fired and they're gone now. Um, but just this student would experience this racism, but like the people around them, the, all the white people around them wouldn't do anything. Um, you know, they weren't experiencing that same thing. So it was really sad to hear, um, those stories. And, you know, I had a friend of mine, which, you know, they decided not to be on the podcast, which I totally understand, but talking with them and, you know, they're, they're a person of color. I talked to them about their experiences and we really bonded with each other because, you know, we were both minority students at the school. She was a person of color. I was queer, you know, but different social identities, but we knew that feeling of not um, belonging, feeling so out of place. And, you know, she, she dealt with a lot of judgment from people. People assumed that just she was just very poor and couldn't afford things. Um, I know she had experienced some mistreatment just by people in the financial aid office for different things. And we just, just felt so, so alone and just stood out so much in that environment. Um, I do want to move on to other topics, but one more mm -hmm. question about the restrictions they had on all this stuff. Uh, I imagine if you're the sort of student who's going to Bob Jones, um, you're not bothered by the rule book, the handbook, as much as an outsider like me might. Um, but I am wondering, I'm sure there were students who knew how to get around all of these rules. Like, oh, I can't watch PG-13 movies. I can't watch rated R movies. I can't get on the internet to certain sites. But there are workarounds for all that. And most mm -hmm. people who are in college would know exactly what those workarounds are. Yeah. Were those students at the school that they knew how to work around this stuff and they could help other students do it? Or were they playing by the book? Because like even they knew, yeah, I could get around it, but I don't want to break the rules because mm -hmm. I agree to these rules. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, you know, I think there were a lot of people who learned to get around certain rules. And the thing is, I want to emphasize about this school, people always say to me, oh, you shouldn't have agreed to go to a school with all these rules. Or, and the thing is, for me, it's not about the rules at all. It's about the way that the rules are enforced at this school. And it is enforced through a snitching culture. Now, this snitching culture, it is not listed in their handbook or anywhere on their website. But you talk to any students who went there who experienced harm and, you know, and, and just covered in the podcast, several students are like, yes, yeah, so there was a snitching culture at Bob Jones University, which a lot of cults have their own snitching system in place because these authoritarian leaders can only do so much to control people. So cult members learn to 
you know, you turn each other in. And the reason people would turn each other in is that if you witnessed or knew of someone breaking a rule and you did not report it and that was found out, you were treated as if you were equally guilty for breaking that rule. So it really made you be really secretive if you did break rules and not tell anyone about it. And you always felt watched. You were always very like hyper vigilant um, in this culture about every single thing that you did. It, it just made you question your own thoughts and your own behavior. And really, I think it's a form of mind control to, to get people to change who they are, to conform to this system. So I, for me, I learned to break the rules. And one of the things was not telling people, um, disconnecting from the internet and using data, using that up. I, unfortunately, I did not have an unlimited data plan, so I had to be careful, uh, you know, and before reconnecting to the internet, clear all the history and clear all the cookies and just everything you possibly could think of. And one of the things which I've told this story a few times before, but one of the things that shocked me about the control they had was I did not know that Bob Jones could be alerted of notifications that came on my phone. And I was called to my dorm supervisor's office one day because of their systems had been alerted of a notification that popped up on my phone. And the notification was a dating app. Now, thankfully, it was not Grindr or I would have been dead. It was like Bumble or something. But it's funny because the school doesn't explicitly, at least when I was there, that there were no rules against being on dating apps. You know, you couldn't go on dates alone. You always had to have chaperones with you if you went on dates. Um, but I lied to this person. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But of course, they approve. And I was thankfully able to get out of that situation. But I walked out of that meeting being like, oh, my God, their systems can be alerted of notifications on, the, on our phones. And I started telling people, I'm like, listen, be careful. They can get notified of notification. Like, I just got in trouble for this. Like, I didn't go on the internet. It was just a notification. So that's just a level of the control and surveillance that happens at this school that just keeps people in this constant state of fear. It sounds to me like you might be even then hesitant to tell your friends in the dorms anything. Oh, I'm having doubts. Yeah. Oh, I did something mm -hmm. that might be, I mean, naughty in a very mm -hmm. loose sense, but you can't even trust your yeah. roommates because the fear oh, yeah. is they might snitch mm -hmm. on you. Yeah, there is a fear of that most definitely. Yeah. And so, yeah, I learned to, yeah, not tell people how I break the rules. So yeah, I would listen to music. I would watch um, TV by disconnecting from the, do all these different things just to try to be human and relax. And it's so it's so hard to relax at Bob Jones because when you attend there from out of state and you're between the ages of 18 to 22, you are forced to live in their dormitories. You are not allowed to live off campus. Now you can live off campus once you turn 23. But the thing is most of the students there are from 18 to 22 years old and they know this. Um, so the reason they force you to live on campus if you're living from out of state is you are subjected to a hierarchical leadership system that is in every single dormitory. So each dormitory is like a cult in and of itself where you're there's this leader over the whole dorm and there are different levels of leaders under them. And, you know, this environment with all these, you know, spiritual leaders where you feel like you're always being watched and they can come into your room at any moment. And that's another thing. Our rooms were checked just about every single day. We had to go to chapel um, four days a week and our rooms would be checked during that time. And I remember there was a time when I came back and I realized that some of my drawers had been gone through. So like, there's no, there's no sense of privacy at this college at all.
God forbid they find a book about questioning fundamentalism. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is a question from a uh, viewer here. Andrew, were you able to talk to any faculty or other students about your struggle with same-sex attraction? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting phrasing of that because that's what they would say. They wouldn't say you're gay. They would say you struggle with same-sex attraction. And I did not tell anyone about it until I think it was my sophomore year. That's when I came out to a very close friend that I knew I could trust and that they weren't bought into this system of control. And once that happened, I started to make, there were a couple of other friends I felt close enough that I could. So it was very slow. And then after that, I was like, let's just keep that a secret for now. But it wasn't until my junior year that I did come out to my dorm supervisor um, who would eventually disciple me and then change that into conversion therapy. So yeah, that did not, not a good idea with that. Um. That sounds horrifying. Do you guys have yeah. like rivalries or uh, do you look down upon every other Christian college for not being as strict as BJU? Yeah, that is, that's interesting. Um, the rivalry, uh, the rivalry we have is with Pensacola Christian college. And it's funny because we all know that Pensacola, they are stricter than Bob Jones university. Um, but yeah, there would usually be rivalry around, um, I guess really sports with them. We would always want to try to beat them in sports. Um, but I think there is just a slamming of just Christian colleges that were more liberal in general, honestly. And like, I don't remember specific ones being called out, but I just remember stories of people being like, oh, they let them drink on this college campus. They're allowed to drink alcohol at this seminary or do this or this. And that was seen as compromise in that environment. So any, I don't remember specific schools, but just any schools that did not have this strict code of conduct, especially around drinking and sexuality, it was definitely looked down upon. True story. A few years ago, someone sent me pictures from Pensacola Christian College because there was a book, an art book in the campus library somewhere. And if you look up some of the most famous paintings you could think of, I mean, even the Mona Lisa or something, they had used a black Sharpie over the Mona Lisa's cleavage. And my first thought is I didn't even realize the Mona Lisa had cleavage, but they had Sharpied over it. And of Mm -hmm. course, things like Michelangelo's David and other things, they just, nope, you are not allowed to see that 22-year-old child. God, yes. Um, But that's Pensacola for you as well. And that seems... And that that did... I remember in the art department, I was specifically in the photography department, and there were books with, you know, women who had cleavage or different things where they would be blacked out with tape or they were covered up with Sharpie. And I remember like reading photography books and flipping to a page and it would be like, and look at this photo for this reference. And it would just be blacked out. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> whatever. That's not very helpful. Uh, but yeah, just that, that fear of sexuality so much and like the thing about really like purity culture is such a big part of bob jones university like you know sexual thoughts you know were seen as lust you weren't you were supposed to wait until marriage to have sex so you know in that kind of environment people get married pretty quickly and i'm sure you can understand why yeah oh i'm sure do you know i mean i'm not asking you to snitch but like do you know if people broke those rules and how they got around that too, away from the authorities? I mean, if a side hug is going to get punished, mm-hmm. I have to imagine some of those people went beyond that too. And did that, did students know about that? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have heard of students uh, getting around that rule. And, you know, it was usually like, get a get someone who's a chaperone who doesn't care. Like they'll, they'll go off, off campus with you and then leave you alone. And then you'll drive back all three on campus together. Um, so you won't get in trouble. And there were times when, you know, they weren't having sex. They just wanted to go on a regular date. They just wanted to be human and not be watched. And their friends would let them do that and then take them back. So it wasn't always about having sex. Um, I definitely knew some people who um, had fun um, going off campus and having sex. And there are some people that are caught on campus having sex. I, I think there's some kind of fetish at Bob Jones with having sex on campus, just the idea of, oh my God, we're going to get caught. We're going to get caught. So I think that that's a real thing that exists at Bob no Jones No one will University. mention the acronym. And yeah, the, the idea that these harlots are going off to hold hands secretly <laughs> somewhere on the beach. Um, So that actually, let me segue into something far more serious, which is uh, because of the patriarchal nature of the school, because of the way... Uh, women are treated at the school. Sexual abuse was a very real problem, not just at BJU, but at a lot of Christian colleges and colleges in general, because this is a societal problem. Um, can you talk about how Bob Jones University handled allegations of sexual abuse? Because I, about a decade ago, this kind of um, hit fever pitch at one point. Yeah, yeah. It it made a it made a big deal because it ended up being featured in the New York Times. Like this is how a big deal these sexual abuse allegations were. So what happened was an outside organization was hired. I think it was in early 2013, um, and it was called Grace. And Grace stands for um, Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment. So there's an organization that will investigate these abuse allegations in Christian schools. And so this organization was brought in by Stephen Jones. And as I've talked to survivors about this, and specifically one of the survivors on the podcast, I mean, the only survivor from the Grace Report who came forward to speak was Erin Birchwell, who's on the podcast. And she's also featured in the New York Times for coming forward about the abuse. Um, but yeah, so she came forward to talk about it. But this this investigation, what happened was the purpose of the investigation was to really look into the mishandling of abuse allegations at Bob Jones University. How do they handle it? How do they treat students who came forward? And this, you know, I read parts of the Grace Report for an hour and a half on my podcast. And like, I just read just a lot of damning things. And the Grace Report is available for people to read online. But after reading it and you know reporting on it in this podcast, it really covers number one the mishandling of the abuse, um, really like the lack of psychological education and training used to deal with sexual abuse survivors. And there were instances where BJU represent representatives did not want students to go to the police. Some people were told not to. Some people were kind of discouraged. Other people, it, you know, they just weren't reported at all. And, you know, so there's a mix of all these different things that went on. And a lot of these students who came forward about the sexual abuse they had encountered. And, you know, I want to emphasize, you know, there were some people who came forward that it didn't happen under Bob Jones or at Bob Jones. There were some, maybe it did. And, and some that it happened with a Bob Jones student, maybe off campus or sort of like, you know, there are different uh, situations, but 
you know, despite all of that, they still handled it pretty terribly. And what was very clear was after reading this, um, there seemed to be concern with the reputation and people will deny this BJU people deny it. But in the grace report, Bob Jones, the third himself, this is in the report. He told a victim to not come forward um, because he were, it was basically afraid of, you know, what it, it would do to the school and the reputation of the place. So that's in the grace report and people can read that Bob Jones, the third himself. And there was a lot of shame and blame on survivors and, in these environments, I mean, I want to emphasize there was biblical counseling that was used to approach these survivors. And this is not based on any kind of psychological evidence at all. This is based on belief alone and a specific interpretation of the Bible. And the assumption from this perspective, really from biblical counseling, is there is absolutely nothing good inside of you. You are a sinner. Um, and you know, you're just constantly wanting to do bad. So when you assume the worst in people like that, um, you're, you're not really going to be able to help people. There's a lot of blaming. So there are some survivors that were asked if they enjoyed the sexual abuse that happened to them. And there are instances um, of people were asked like, oh, what were you wearing? And there were people that were told that they were bitter, that they should just, they should forgive and move on. So the, the victims were not taken care of at all. Um, in any way, and the Grace Report really states that. And what I want to emphasize about it is the Grace Report, and Erin Birchwell, I heard her say this in another interview, and I just want to give her credit, but this is the ice, like the tip of the iceberg. There's so many people that have not come forward in that Grace Report, and there is so much that needs to be uncovered at Bob Jones University, and I hope my podcast will be a part of more people coming forward about what happened to them at Bob Jones University and how they were treated when they came forward about what they experienced. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I think even when uh, the people with Grace were working on the report, the school actually fired them and stopped yes. them from doing it before they, they did fire. a statement. They what happened did, there? Why did they yes. do that? Yeah, there, there's still there's speculation. I don't know all. I don't think anyone besides outside of those circles knows the specific details. But personally, in my opinion, I think they got scared. They realized how damning this report was going to be and didn't want the public to see this. And this upset so many survivors. And so what happened was Erin Birchwell, she's like, you know what? I'm talking to the news. Like, how dare they? silence us all those years ago and then tell us oh yeah come back speak about this and then fire them and not bring this to light and not get us justice so aaron birchwell she went on the news and talked to the media about this and you know the pressure from the media i think and you know survivors that's what had them be like all right we'll rehire them and we'll, we'll release a report and they did it's still public and I cover it on the podcast, and it is a damning report. And what I want to talk about this is people, Bob Jones people will say, oh, you know, that 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 report, it didn't prove that they covered up abuse. And it's like, okay, like it's so much larger than that. There are instances of cover-up, of silencing, but it's also the way they treated people, the way they treated um, survivors. Just It was just, it's, it is horrific, the re-traumatization that happened through the psychological and really emotional and verbal abuse that happened to survivors from these biblical counselors. 
Um, can you talk as we wrap up here? Can you talk about how your time at BJU came to an end and mm -hmm. how much of I mean, all the stuff you're saying now is so important. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you about some of the reactions to your podcast. But can you talk about how your time at BJU uh, came to an end? Yeah, so I was at Bob Jones University for three and a half years. And ooh, like it was it was a rough three and a half years. I struggled a lot with mental health. I, I dealt with a lot of harassment from students because of my perceived sexuality, struggling a lot with the hateful teachings at Bob Jones University and, and a lot of the harmful um, leaders there and the toxic culture that exists. It's just so, 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 so crushing and abusive. And, you know, just being there as a queer person was very difficult. But yeah, during those three and a half years there, it was quite a journey for me of trying to become myself, to claim my own identity in an environment that was doing everything it could to stop me from doing that, doing it everything it could to break me down and give me um, this identity they wanted to believe, to think exactly how they wanted. Um, but during my time there, I ended up really questioning that system a lot more and started learning that a lot of my mental health struggles was from religious trauma. And I started speaking up about how fundamentalist teachings causes trauma, religious trauma in people. And talking about how this system blames you, when in reality, this environment perpetrates a lot of abuse and a lot of harm because of these different dynamics that are so normalized. And that was the thing. A lot of these things are so normalized. Love and abuse are so interconnected. Like they're melded together in this environment and you don't know the difference between those at times. And it's just such such a twisted way to view people in the world. And so I publicly started just calling out fundamentalism. Um, it was my last semester at Bob Jones. I made that decision for myself. I knew it wasn't the most logical thing to do, but I just, I couldn't keep quiet anymore. Just my intuition would not let me do that. So I did an interview with Josh Harris, who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. We did it live on Instagram. And I, I told my story. I told my struggles of the trauma and abuse that I experienced and fundamentalism, its impact on me. And um, just my experience of nearly taking my own life at Bob Jones University and how I had to get help I on the outside, which is very difficult um, for me to do. So I think, you know, because I survived that environment and got out you know, by the skin of my teeth, I've been very vocal about bringing awareness to abuse in these high control religious environments and how, you know, people will say things like, oh, you're bitter, you need to forgive. And it's like, you know what, think whatever you want. These environments are still harming people and they're they're not learning from their mistakes and not learning for the things that they're doing, that they're harming people and they need to be held accountable and people need to know what's happening at Bob Jones and what's happening at these Christian colleges across the U.S., and they, what, did they hear that interview or word got back to them about that interview? And then they're like, oh, you committed a felony far worse than a side hug. Yeah. So, yes, they heard that interview. And in that interview, I came out of the closet. I denounced fundamentalism and talked about deconverting from that version of Christianity. And, yeah, I, I was called into an office late at night and I was kicked out. They never brought up my sexuality once. Which I, I want to emphasize that. They were very careful about that. They did not want bad publicity for that because they've had that in the past. So they just said, oh, well, you don't claim to you know, believe this anymore. So we do not want you at this school. And what they do is they will, 
when they kick out a lot of people, they'll ask you to withdraw and they'll have you sign all these things. And, you know, at that point, I thought about rebelling and being like, no, I'm not signing this. But at that point, like I was I was ready to leave. I was like, I have to get out of this. Like I, I have to save. I really had to save my life just to get out of that environment. So you don't have a degree from BJU then because not. you're not finished, which I think puts you ahead. Uh, yeah, I I trained. Yeah, I transferred to another college and I graduated back in May. So I, I did graduate from another school. So that's I'm grateful for I'm that. Glad to hear that. Um, do yeah. you know? I'm curious what the reaction has been, not just from people who graduated from BJU, but also I'm wondering if any current students have listened i don't know if your podcast is banned on campus but have they listened to it have they gotten back to you about this at all yeah so yeah there's definitely been mixed reactions to it and you know i've i've done my best all i'm going to say is i've done my best to get it to students at bob Jones university and i think there are people who who've gotten it and they know it exists and i know there are some people who are listening um there and i i have gotten who definitely backlash from current BJU students, people who are really indoctrinated in that system. Um, and it usually they just, they, they attack me as a person. They don't attack my arguments at all. Um, very I was going to say, are they mad because you think you misrepresent them or because you are accurate about them? And, and that's a funny thing is that uh, they, they've been attacking me personally, some of these people. And it's like, oh, like you're not attacking my arguments. That's interesting. Um, and the thing is too, in this environment, there's a lot of gossip. I know that I am being, my name is being like sludged in mud behind the scenes in their like Facebook groups or different things. And, you know, I don't care. I knew that would happen when I did this and, you know, I already read my reputation by speaking out against fundamentalism. So I didn't really care anyways. Um, but there, you know, someone reached out to me and was very accusatory of me online and, you know, they're like, why did you go to that school? You agreed to the rules. You signed this. And, you know, people don't understand consent in these environments either. Yes, I had to sign a covenant. Did I want to sign that covenant? No. So I, I openly said yes, but internally I said no. I really didn't internally consent to that, but I didn't have a choice. And a lot of people and, don't have a choice. And people change, especially yes, in college. people do change. Yes, it doesn't they matter do. where you go. Um, yeah. I think I am asking a question that a lot of people are asking mm -hmm. in the comments too. I mean, how are you doing now? What are oh. you up to besides the podcast, which I imagine is re-traumatizing in a lot yeah, of ways? It is. But yeah. are you doing okay? Or, and what are you up to now? Yeah, yeah. I, I am thankfully doing oof, so much better. I've been, it's been nearly two years since I've been out of that environment and I've been in doing a lot of like doing therapy and a lot of intense inner work to deal with a lot of these things. And, you know, I will be doing this healing work, I think probably um, for the rest of my life, but I really activism has really given me a lot of hope and has connected me with a lot of other cult survivors and really also BJU survivors online. And it's just so empowering and validating to know that you are not alone. And so I've really been, educating people online as a digital creator and podcaster talking about religious trauma cults and fundamentalism i work for the indoctrination podcast which is hosted by rachel bernstein and this podcast covers cults and systems of control and manipulators and i highly recommend it i am the social media manager for that podcast um and yeah i'm i'm continuing 
the, you know, the surviving BJU podcast, it's a limited series and it's done, but I've decided to continue BJU stories through another podcast called beyond BJU. And the trailer is out for it. Now people can subscribe to it. Um, I was, there's been some files that have been uncovered. That's all I'm going to say. And there are a lot more things that are going to come to light in this new podcast that people do not know about Bob Jones university. There's more that needs to be exposed. So more stories are going to be heard. And also Bob Jones university, they are the mothership for thousands of churches across the U S that like perpetuate our had these same harmful teachings and dynamics. So I hope to continue to expose that. And I have like over 30 survivors who have come forward who are ready to tell their stories on this podcast. So beyond BJU will be coming out early 2024 and people can subscribe to wait. And um, I, I'm, I'm very happy about the surviving Bob Jones university podcast and the conversations and the change that is happening through it. Well, thank you so much. If people haven't heard it yet, uh, the podcast right now is called Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian cult. No words minced in the title. Right. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much. For people who are interested in uh, the link to the podcast is in the show notes. But um, where do they find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm very active on Instagram, Facebook, threads and TikTok. Just search Andrew Pledger and like you know, it, the my bio says queer cult survivor, so I'm very niche in that area. So uh, I, you can see the work that I do and the work that I will continue to do on those avenues.